Hey guys, and welcome to episode 206 of the podcast. This is Lindsay coming to you solo today with an episode that was inspired by a little epiphany I had in my own pelvic health journey recently around the idea of self-care and what exactly that means for me. When I say the word self-care, I think for a lot of us that brings up things like yoga and meditating and journaling, breath work, maybe face masks and a spa day. And whatever that means for you is great. But I think for a lot of us, the idea of self-care also feels like just one more thing to add in an already too long to-do list. And when we get stressed in those times that we need self-care the most, those are the first things that we don't make time for and that just seem like we don't have the time for, so they get thrown by the wayside. And if you're anything like me, then that leads to a lot of negative self-talk and beating yourself up about not being consistent in these self-care routines. Um, And it's a bit of a vicious circle that you set the best of intentions, you try hard, you're feeling good, and then something makes us fall off the wagon We beat ourselves up again, and then we're starting from scratch. And it feels, at least for me, like I'm never really nailing the idea of self-care. But what if self-care didn't have to be adding things and all of these habits and routines that we create? What if it could be really, really simple? And I think it can be. So to give me a little bit of backstory on how I came to this epiphany and exactly what that epiphany was, it's important to know I have struggled with urgency and urgent continence most, if not all, of my life. And over the last five years, since meeting an amazing pelvic floor physiotherapist named Cassie Dion, I have really been able to pinpoint stress as a big trigger for my symptoms. I think we can all agree that the last two or three years has been increasingly stressful for any number and combination of reasons. So with that, over the last two years, my symptoms have been worse or more bothersome than usual, but more notably in the last six months or so. Despite seemingly doing everything right to help manage my stress to help take care of my pelvic floor, but they just kept getting worse. And not only was I dealing with the physical symptoms of urgency and incontinence, I was also dealing with the mental symptoms, if you will, of the embarrassment and the shame of doing the pee dance in public as an adult, (laughs) or sometimes not making it to the bathroom in time when I had to go. And on top of that, remember that I'm a pelvic floor physio. So here I am struggling with my own urgency and incontinence and not able to figure that out. So I started getting a lot of negative self-talk and uh, spiraling in that way that who am I to be a pelvic floor physio if I can't even help figure this out for myself? How am I supposed to help anyone else? So it was becoming... A much bigger problem than just the incontinence. 
So in an act of desperation, I gave up coffee. <laughs> Anyone who knows me know, is probably a little bit concerned for the people who had to spend time around me in those first few days or weeks, but everyone made it out unscathed. And my symptoms are a thousand times better for it. Not only were my symptoms better, I was feeling more confident as a physiotherapist again. And the really interesting part is that after two weeks, I started to notice the moments of anxiety and tension and overwhelm in my day seemed so much less. It didn't seem like I was always running, trying to just keep up with myself in a day. It seemed like there was just more ease in my day, less stress overall. And so being the anatomy and physiology nerd that I am, I started to reflect on what exactly this connection to coffee was. You know, it was obvious there was or there were the physical factors that caffeine and the acidity of coffee were irritating my bladder. That was obvious and made perfect sense. But what was this piece that I was just generally feeling better all around, both physically, mentally, and emotionally? And what I boiled it down to is our nervous system. Again, the caffeine had that physical effect, but caffeine is also a stimulant. And so it was getting my nervous system amped up and I was drinking a lot of coffee. So I was riding this wave of stimulant, get everything ramped up, feel that caffeine crash. And then inevitably within a couple of hours, I would re-up on caffeine um, and be jacked up again um, from a nervous system sense. Because I was pretty used to coffee, I wasn't feeling that wave. I wasn't feeling that big increase in my nervous system activity and then a crash. It felt really normal to me. But in taking that stimulant away, I realized just how much of a wave I was riding in my day to day. Like I said, after two weeks, there was just more ease and more flow through my day. And I'm not necessarily suggesting coffee is the key for everyone. It was definitely the key for me. But what that made me think about is this idea of self-care. And what if self-care could be reframed from these trendy habits and lifestyles to just self-caring for our nervous system, trying to balance out the nervous system activity instead of riding this wave through our day-to-day. In order to understand how exactly the nervous system plays a role in keeping us on this more even keel, if you will, it's important to understand the very basics of the nervous system. So bear with me. I'm going to take us all back to high school biology class for a few minutes here. When it comes to the nervous system, there are several divisions within it. The main division is the central nervous system, which is made up of our brain and our spinal cord. And for today's purposes, that's all we need to know about it. The peripheral nervous system is everything else. So the nerves that go to our organs, to our muscles, to our joints, 
anything outside of the brain and spinal cord. This peripheral system is then further broken down into essentially a voluntary and an involuntary system. So on the voluntary side, or what's called our somatic nervous system, that's what gives us voluntary control over our movement, things like skeletal muscles and bones. The involuntary system, or what's called the autonomic nervous system, is where we're going to spend a lot of focus today. And this system is exactly as it sounds. It runs our physiological processes without really ever needing to enter our conscious awareness. So it controls things like heart rate, blood pressure, breathing, pupil dilation, bowel and bladder function, sex and hunger drive. It has some really important roles, but again, it does these things under the radar. We don't know it's happening, yet we continue to breathe and our heart continues to beat. Within this system, we have two more divisions. We have essentially a gas pedal and a brake pedal for those functions. So the gas pedal is called our sympathetic nervous system. And that is what triggers our fight or flight response. So in times of stress or threat, it increases our heart rate, our blood pressure, it dilates our pupils. It shunts blood flow away from things like digestion into our muscles to prepare us to fight or flee or maybe freeze. And the important thing to remember about this particular system and response is that it is a primal response. This is sort of the animal part of our brain. And what that means for us as modern day humans is that this system can't always differentiate stress and threats to our modern day comforts versus stress and threats to our safety and survival. For example, that system can't always differentiate between that big meeting coming up or sitting, being stuck in traffic and you're late rushing the kids to school or you have a really difficult conversation coming up with a colleague or a partner later. It can't necessarily tell the difference between those situations and running for your life from a saber-toothed tiger. So keep that in mind as we continue to talk about the nervous system. That fight-or-flight response gets triggered, but it's not always moderated or modulated in um, a rational way. On the flip side of that gas pedal or sympathetic nervous system, we have the brake pedal or the parasympathetic nervous system. And this system is what brings us back down into a state of what's called rest and digest after those moments of threat. So this is what brings our heart rate back down, lowers our blood pressure, allows our blood flow to come back out of the muscles and into things like our digestive system. It's what brings us into this sort of rest and recovery phase. It's the balance of these systems that keeps us on that even keel. There is a third component to this autonomic nervous system called your enteric nervous system, 
or what's often referred to as your second brain or your gut brain. I could geek out on the enteric nervous system for hours, but for the purposes of this episode, all we're going to all we need to know about it is that it is a huge collection of neurons and neurotransmitters that's st- located in your gut. It is where the majority of our dopamine and serotonin is stored and produced. So it's very important on mood and mental health. And its role is essentially to tell us the road conditions if we're sticking with this gas pedal, brake pedal analogy. It gives us the information about our internal and external environments to tell us whether we need to increase sympathetic activity or parasympathetic activity. And that information is relayed along one nerve in particular called your vagus nerve. And your vagus nerve is the longest parasympathetic nerve in your body. So remember, the parasympathetic system is that brake pedal, that rest and recovery system. So when this system, or this nerve, sorry, this vagus nerve, is not stimulated enough, we are not activating that parasympathetic system enough, meaning that we are not getting enough messages to rest and recover. They've done some really cool studies looking at vagus nerve tone or activation and actually found in brain scans of people who have low tone in the vagus nerve. So again, not stimulated enough. The brain scans actually look like this person is in a low level state of fight or flight. So there's actually increased activity in that amygdala or animal part of the brain that triggers the fight or flight response. Something I find really fascinating about this vagus nerve is that 90% of the information that is sent along this nerve or the signals or impulses that are sent along this nerve go from the body to the brain, not the other way around. Meaning that the signals from our body and even our gut health have a really big influence on things like our mental health, our mood, our motivation, not to mention feelings of stress, anxiety, or rest and relaxation. So in theory, we could hack into this autonomic nervous system using the vagus nerve. So let's step away from the anatomy lecture. I hope you're all still with me after that explanation. (laughs) And talk about ways that we can activate this vagus nerve and find more balance in that sympathetic and parasympathetic activity to help us find more ease and less stress in our day. The first and most relatively simple way is through breathing. And I say relatively simple because it requires using our diaphragm muscle to breathe. The diaphragm muscle is the big muscle that sits at the base of our ribs that in theory should drop down as we inhale and tuck back up under the ribs as we exhale. The vagus nerve innervates this muscle. Uh, So if we can access that muscle and move the muscle and use it, we can stimulate the vagus nerve. 
The only challenge here is that most of us do not breathe with our diaphragms. Some of that has to do with, you know, lifestyles and sitting too long, so it's sort of tucked up under there and it can't come down and expand fully. Some of it has to do with, especially as women, we have spent a lifetime sucking it in um, and have adopted a whole different breathing pattern to avoid expanding through our ribs and stomach. So in order to access the diaphragm and stimulate the vagus nerve through breathing, we need to be able to expand that diaphragm. The best way to think about this is inhale and imagine as if you're opening your rib cage like an umbrella. So a 360 degree expansion, especially through the back and the outer sides of the ribs. We're not necessarily doing a big belly breath and just shooting the breath all the way down to the lower part of the belly in this case. We want to expand that lower rib cage as big as we can. Another way that you can check to see if you are using your diaphragm or cue yourself a little bit more is to apply some pressure at the little triangle or peak uh, where your ribs meet in the middle. Give yourself some fairly firm pressure here. And as you inhale, try to press your fingers out of that space or feel some rising up against your fingers from the muscle underneath. With breathing, the inhale is where we get the diaphragm expansion. The exhale is where we bring that diaphragm back up under the ribs, but the exhale is also associated with that parasympathetic nervous system, that brake pedal. And so we can also hack into that autonomic nervous system and bias that rest and relaxation response by extending our exhale as long as we can. So inhaling in through the ribs, And long exhale, trying to get all of that air out, squeezing those ribs back together. The beauty of this technique is that it is so easy. You can do it anywhere, any position, and it really doesn't have to be a big time and commitment. So a lot of studies are showing that even five breaths done this way can have an immediate settling response on our nervous system. So how I've implemented this for myself is when I'm washing my hands in between each client, I take five breaths in with my diaphragm and a nice long exhale, trying to get all of that air out of my lungs. And it can be that simple, small pauses in the day to take a handful of breaths And then move on with what you're doing. The second way that we can access or stimulate the vagus nerve is through our vocal cords. So the vagus nerve passes from the brainstem down through our esophagus and into the gut. So by vibrating through our vocal cords, we can actually, again, activate that nerve. And what that could look like is gargling, humming, singing, 
anything that creates a little resonance through our vocal cords, our larynx and trachea to get some vibration against the nerve. So when you're doing this, if you choose to do the humming or the singing, which I will spare you with uh, the example here, the demo, um, you want to try to think of getting that low vibration. So when you're singing, almost think of singing from the area in your throat that you speak from, which sounds silly, sounds obvious, but a lot of us try to hit those high notes and we bring that resonance up high into the vocal cords, almost into the sinus or up into the back of the throat. We want to keep that low in the throat, even into the chest. Same idea with humming or gargling. You want to try and really get some rumbling kind of vibrations to get the most movement or activation into the nerve. And again, this one's really simple. 30 seconds of gargling twice a day has an effect on that vagus nerve. When it comes to singing, if you're anything like me, putting on a concert every morning on your way to work is no big deal. Uh, So you can implement singing, humming, whatever feels right for you. But again, it's kind of a fun, easy way that we can bring a little more parasympathetic activity into our day. The third way is a little bit more involved, I'll say, in that it requires laying down and doing a little bit of self-massage. So if we remember that that vagus nerve and enteric nervous system, or the system that tells us our road conditions, is all located in the gut, we can access the vagus nerve by stimulating the gut through massage. Some of you may know what's often referred to as the I love you massage or the colon massage. This is often used for digestive issues or constipation, but in this case can be used to stimulate the nerve. So there's a million places you can Google this um, or a million pages that will come up if you Google this, Um, but it's really quite simple. So we're following the direction of your colon movement. So if you are looking down at your own stomach, you want to start on the front of your right hip area at your lower belly. And we're just applying light pressure and following a certain pattern. So we're going to do lines straight up from sort of the hip or groin area straight up to the bottom of the rib cage. As much pressure as feels good for you or feels comfortable. Doing five or ten passes there. The next step, you're going to continue that line. So going from right hip to the right rib cage and then across that diaphragm to the left side of the rib cage. So this is the L if we're calling it the I love you massage. And again, five or ten passes, nice firm but comfortable pressure. And then we're going to follow that up with the U. So again, starting down on the front of that right hip or groin area, coming up towards the rib cage, across to the left side of the ribs, and then down to the front of the left hip or groin. 
same thing five or ten passes you really can't overdo this so if it feels good by all means do 20 or 30 but the key here is comfort you're not digging in as if you're trying to release a muscle it should feel really quite good and almost relaxing as we get that parasympathetic nervous system activity up and balance out some of that sympathetic activity So these are three really simple ways. You can Google vagus nerve activation and you will find all sorts of other ways. This is a really quite versatile nerve because it's involved in so many organs and processes in our body that it's important to find a way that feels accessible and feels effective for you. So I encourage you, if none of these really seem to resonate or land with you, Um, to do a quick Google search and see if there's something that piques your interest a little bit more as a way to stimulate that vagus nerve. I found some of these techniques really, really helpful for myself. And most importantly, I've just found them easy. So instead of trying to implement these major lifestyle changes to combat stress and care for myself better, it really can be this simple. As simple as a few breaths, as gargling after you brush your teeth, singing in the car on your way to work, to truly have a change on our nervous system and how we interact with our internal and external environments. And in the end, feel more ease and peace in our day instead of feeling like we're always running on to the next thing. So I hope next time you do find yourself in that hamster wheel of life uh, that you'll remember some of these techniques and just take a few moments to literally just breathe.